Welcome to the Front Porch Talks podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. Thanks for tuning in today. And today we're joined by Pastor Steve Gazar. Pastor Steve, how are you today? I'm doing all right, Grayson. Thanks for having me. And Pastor Steve is the lead pastor of Front Royal Church of the Nazarene in Front Royal, Virginia. And he's here to share his testimony with us today. Pastor Steve, just start out telling us about where you're from and about how you grew up. I am born and raised in Virginia. I was born in uh, Hopewell, Virginia, or actually Petersburg, Virginia, at the hospital there. My dad was a pastor in Hopewell, and we lived there till about age four. Moved to Spring Creek, and he became the pastor there when I was four or five, somewhere in that transition. Was uh, there until age eight, and then we moved to Manassas, Virginia, where I pretty much I would call my hometown. Mm-hmm. And I uh, met my wife there, grew up there, graduated high school from there, uh, was married in that town. And then shortly after marriage, my wife and I, we moved west of Manassas down the Interstate 66 corridor to a little place called Marshall, Virginia. Lived there for seven years and then moved to Front Royal in 2003 and have uh, lived there ever since. So I am the youngest of five children. Um, I've got three older sisters, and I have one older brother. The closest to me in age would be my brother. He is nine years older than me. So there's a little bit of living in homes with siblings, Mm -hmm. but more living in a home without a sibling. You were almost like an only child. Pretty close, pretty close. My oldest oldest sister's uh, children are closer to me in age than any of my siblings. I didn't realize that. Yeah. My nephew, my little nephew, I call him Little Jimmy. He's about 150 pounds bigger than me, about six inches taller than me. <laughs> and uh, he's pure muscle. And so we kind of look like uh, Danny DeVito and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger a little bit. Uh-huh. Right? That's great. But he's a year and 25 days younger than me. So I'm his, I was an uncle. You're his little uncle. Old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or big uncle yeah. for Little Jimmy. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, so, literally, you grew up in the church. Would you say that? Was you at church? Yeah, I was almost much? on the roll of the moment that I was uh, the Sunday school role, according to my parents, when I was born. I think that when they were headed to the <laughs> hospital, the Sunday school superintendent had passed them and turned around and followed them to the hospital. So, just pretty close, pretty close. Of you cut your teeth in the on the you cut your teeth on the on a church pew. I really did. In fact, I know of. Well, the pews are gone now at that place, but there was definitely teeth marks on the pew. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a story there. Uh-huh. So you grew up in church. What, like our parents take us to church, mm-hmm. you know, and they introduce us to Scripture and to the community, the body of Christ. What age were you when that started to become real for you personally? I was probably six or seven when I recognized the actual presence of the Mm. Lord. And that happened in Spring Creek. Our house was the parsonage, and it was right next to the church. And it had a basement, and the the parsonage had a basement. From where I can remember, you had to kind of go out into the garage to go to an inside door to go to the basement. And um, Mom had asked me to go get Dad for some reason, and 
dad was in the basement. I went there, and I remember seeing my dad at the base of the stairs, doubled over, leaning against the wall. And he just said, go get your mom. Turned out he was having a uh, kidney stone attack. Mm. And so I did, and we had a big uh, Oldsmobile, uh, two-door Oldsmobile. The doors were like wings, mm. you know, seemed like they weighed mm-hmm. a 1,000 pounds a piece. And uh, my mom pulled the Oldsmobile up next to the side door by the garage. Had a little concrete stoop there. And I remember my dad just falling into the back seat. And they left. I don't know who would have been there with me um, as far as a sibling or what have you. But what I remember distinctly is as I watched them pull through the yard, mm-hmm. um, I can still to this day see the tire tracks where the grass was bent mm-hmm. over. And I knelt down and uh, I prayed. Wow. And dad never made it to the hospital. He was able to come right back home. The pain had subsided. There wasn't any evidence of a kidney stone from that point forward. He had had them in times past. Mm-hmm. But that was my first memory of severe pain uh, in my family and knowing I, this is beyond my expertise as a yeah. seven-year-old, six-year-old. Mm-hmm. How do I do this? Where do I go? And I found myself on my knees praying and... Um, that was evidence that God was there mm-hmm. to me, that he heard me, and that uh, he comforted me as well as protected my family. Mm-hmm. So at age six, I knew that there was a, a real presence of the Lord. Around. Yeah, that's amazing. God is so faithful um, when we seek him. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter what age we are, where we're at. Yeah, you're correct. There was a lot of years that there was no seeking. Yeah. There was a lot of running. It was probably a few years after that, right? It wasn't before you were six or seven. It was after, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Multiple points. But that, that stood as a... And there's just been different points throughout throughout the years where I recognize, okay, this is beyond me. I really need some assistance. It could be something as simple as um, not having enough monetary income, even as a teenager, to um, get some things that mom and dad wouldn't get for us they, they'd give us our clothes our shoes but anything beyond that we, we had to get work mm-hmm. for so I love to hunt love to fish and in hunting uh, bow season I was practicing and target shooting and I was missing the target <laughs> multiple ways I was missing the target <laughs> but I was missing the target so much that I ran out of arrows to continue to practice with and I remember sitting on a log and it's like Lord you know this is something that I love to do you also know that i don't have the finances to purchase more arrows so could you just and i'm colorblind shade mine i can see color but shades so the mm-hmm. fletchings on arrows match the forest mm-hmm. floor and i can't pick them out unless i have white fletchings now so i, I was sitting on the log had my hands or my elbows on my knees and and when i opened my eyes literally there was an arrow right there that i could now see wow and so, there the whole time, but until I invited the Lord's presence to help me, I wasn't able to see it. Yeah. Right? That all transcend a lot of things that, that we could lay that grid over a lot of things in life, couldn't we? Oh, yeah. Instead of working so hard on our own, just stopping and inviting the Lord in it mm-hmm. um, makes a world of difference. Absolutely. Uh, Steve, uh, thank you for sharing and any of these other experiences, maybe in particular in your youth years, because we mentioned that you're a pastor and that you grew up in a pastor's home. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
your dad pastored a couple different churches, you said. So just anything like that that kind of maybe led you to go into ministry or impacted you like the story with the arrow or the story where your dad Mm -hmm. thought he was having kidney stones? I don't know that any of those really enhanced my desire to go into ministry. Um, I would say growing up as a preacher's kid, I enjoyed being part of the church. I enjoyed being a preacher's kid. I still do. get to meet a lot of different people, a lot of different stories and conversations. But it was it was good for them to be their stories and their conversations. I didn't want anybody to be part of my story or my conversations. Um, and it wasn't until I was in my adult years that I found that I had some challenges with being a preacher's kid too. Um, challenges where there would be times, it could be something simple. We could be sitting at the dinner table and I've seen uh, my mother or my father multiple times leave and uh, go minister to somebody and all that was fine. But there was some sacred times I felt that just needed to be our time. And um, maybe in the back of my mind, I said, you know, I don't want this ever. I want to be able to sit and have the meal at the table with my family. No interruptions. Um, I want to be able to sit on the couch or what have you, watch a film. Of course, you couldn't go to the movies back then. So we would just bring the movies home and watch them at home. <laughs> so much better. Right? So much better. Right? But those are those disruptions I found, I was like, man, they were very frustrating for me. The other challenging side of it that uh, wasn't the best des- decisions was being a preacher's kid, you would have the pressures from school. I went to public school. Um, I don't even know if it matters. I went to public school. But just from the pressures mm-hmm. of culture and life people would say well you can't do certain things because you're a preacher's kid oh let me show you and right? I did and I did show them and I I tried my best to make sure that I could outwit outlast mm-hmm. and outplay any of them you yeah. know like like that show Survivor and in that that usually meant that uh, I was going to find myself in some sort of position where I needed to get bailed out mm-hmm. right yeah so those were challenging things if I wanted you could hear the conversations people were having. I wanted to speak like those individuals, so I mm-hmm. used the language. Um, there were relationships that people were in. I wanted those relationships, and so I didn't mind having multiple relationships mm-hmm. or at one time or what have you. But those were uh, those were things that were deteriorations of any family dynamic. But growing up, I just didn't want to be part of the ministry because. I wanted to be more like what I was seeing mm-hmm. outside of the yeah. house than inside. Yeah. But then at the same time, I didn't want to have uh, any. I didn't want to follow the rules of anybody else telling me what to do. Be it my parents, but especially the Lord telling me I have to love somebody. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want yeah. to. I want to do it my way. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully so. Yeah. That's that is the. You know, we all have different bents mm-hmm. towards sin mm-hmm. we all have different ones they look different some are a little bit more outward than others sure um and i think you and i probably had a little more of the outward where we were two different people you know oh, you yeah. probably wasn't that person at home Mm-mm. right oh no no the people in the church loved me right <laughs> that, people yep. at home loved me but little did they know what i was doing yeah right so when did you get to that point that hey i'm leading a double life here well i believe the lord his uh, his faithfulness brought me to th- that reality. Um, as much as I didn't want to see it, as much as I didn't want to listen to it, 
I had uh, I had this inward burning uh, desire to to just confess I needed him, mm-hmm. right? And so there was a moment in 1998. There was a gentleman from down this way in Harrisonburg. I think he was down this way. Um, I think his name was Buddy Ferris. Mm-hmm. Uh, retired state mm-hmm. trooper now, and he came to share his uh, God story in his life at our church. And I remember him talking about getting run over by a tractor and trailer on Interstate 95, pronounced dead on the scene. She covered his body, and he woke up in the morgue. And as he's telling his story, um, I don't know, it just resonated to me almost like, hey, here's, a, here's a somebody who's trying to do good mm-hmm. in the eyes of people in a lot of ways. But it was no doubt in anybody's mind that he was dead mm-hmm. on the side of the yeah. road and that he needed to wake up from that and so I just felt that the Lord was calling out to me saying you need to wake up Mm. and if you continue on the road you're on it's going to lead in death and so I was in the back pew of a a church when I was listening to that and somebody said it looked like I ran forward Mm. Um, and I don't even remember saying any words I just knew I needed to be in the presence of the Lord himself and, and for me that represented I needed to take a step towards him that was calling me so in 1998, I would say that I, that I, I was saved uh, by the Lord through His faithfulness that brought me mm-hmm. to that decision. Right? Yeah. I made yeah. a willful decision. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say that as the years went on, um, I was on fire for the Lord. I, I loved the Lord. I even started taking classes towards ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I was called to ministry around that same time frame. Well, I don't believe I know that I was, and. Um, but I didn't want any parts of that either, so I started to drift. And as I drifted, um, I would say that I was I was gone until uh, 2007. When did I recognize that I had crossed the line? I would say that I recognized that I had crossed the line. Um, I knew that I crossed the line in 2003. Mm-hmm. So I needed the Lord in 98. I needed him my whole life. I knew he was real, but the further that I... Went in my relationship with him, the more he was calling me towards this ministry, the more I fought it. And then as the way I describe it is he said, okay, I love you enough. You can make your own decision. You know where I am when you need me. Mm-hmm. And I'll be right here. Yeah. So, And he was. But he loved me enough to let me go, too. Yeah. And he never lost sight of you. Oh, no, no. No. You know, no. He... That's, what, that's what made me mad. <laughs> Is that he? Yeah. I, I knew uh-huh. he knew where I was. I knew yeah. he knew what was going on. I knew he needed what I needed, um, but I didn't want to be. I didn't want to need him. Mm-hmm. I only yeah. wanted enough of him to be okay. I didn't want mm-hmm. enough of him to be my life. Yeah, but that changes. So, this is kind of a personal question. It's okay. So your dad being a minister, mm-hmm. and you're running. Does he know you're running? Uh, I'm, I don't know. I, I would imagine that he did. How did he minister to you in those times? That's personal. Yeah, we were. I was living. I was living in Front Royal. They were still living in Manassas. They were pastoring in Manassas. So there's about forty-five minutes to an hour there. Um, how did he minister to us? I, I, to me, I would say that he just constantly stayed present. Mm. Um, he never. I shouldn't say he never addressed certain things. Right. But there was opportunities um, that he would speak into my life and just say, hey, how you doing? And he has a way to look into our soul. Yeah. Right? I'm aware. 
Right. And so we would circum. I would circumvent. I say we because it's, excuse me, my siblings and I. We would. Mm-hmm. We knew how to navigate around some of his questions. But he always knew just to stay just to stay into that lane, and we were we were going to have to come back to it at some point. So his presence ministered to us. The way that he asked the question, which was never a condemning way. Mm. Um, it was always an inviting way, and then uh, I would—I know for a fact through prayer from him and my 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 mom, mm-hmm. my wife's parents for sure, um, that ministry presence went a long way, and I would even say that my wife's parents probably more so, because we lived in their basement for a time, mm. and so in living in their basement, I'm caring for. They saw how I would care for their daughter, and in caring for their daughter. Um, there was a real lack of that, where alcohol became a huge uh, vice for me. Mm-hmm. There was multiple things, but alcohol really got a hold of me, particularly in 2003. Up until that point, I was self-employed, working as a uh, general contractor, building houses, decks, doing additions, finishing basements, and did really well. I remember a distinct moment where um, I walked out of the house just before we moved into my in-law's place while we were getting ready to build another house and I looked up I, I chewed skull uncut wintergreen for 22 years I learned how to chew uh, red man golden bland here in spring creek in the gymnasium <laughs> as a six-year-old yeah but skull uncut wintergreen I, I went outside of the house and I put a rub of snuff in and uh, I remember looking up to the skies and I said lord you've done really good but I think I can do a little bit better from here and so I really I just turned my back and went inside mm. And that was the beginning of 03. Mm. By the end of 2003, um, I wasn't coming home on weekends. I was spending my weekends at the uh, strip joints in West Virginia. Um, I was coming home drunk throughout the week. Um, and it, it was a slow deterioration that my in-laws mm. saw. Afterwards, um, when I say afterwards, after 2007, when the Lord just removed all my excuses and welcomed me back home and redeemed my life again, my mother-in-law said, you know, there was a time I didn't know whether or not you still love my daughter or not. Mm. But they, in that house, they welcomed me into their house. Mm. Um, they would pray for me. They would, they would give me a hug. Um, they just had great compassion. And they didn't have to say words. And that ate me up. I wanted them to say something negative to justify me to continue the behavior of my heart. Mm. But they didn't. And so them, some of my other family, my wife, the Lord brought me to a point where I had just run out of excuses and um, I needed to make a decision. Yeah. It was either, and my wife brought me to that point. Yeah. At a dinner table, at a restaurant, she looked mm-hmm. at the menu. I was looking at a menu and she said, is this what you want? And she wasn't talking about a menu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was talking about, is this the life that you want? And that, that answer determined how we were going to leave out of that place that day. And so that was some of the beginnings of shaking some things up for me, was their presence, but my wife's direct question and answer. And uh, so I started looking. And as I started looking, I started seeing the Lord's hand moving in this. And specifically on March 3rd of 2007, there was an evangelist coming again to the Winchester Church of the Nazarene. His name was David Ring. And he has cerebral palsy. And uh, that weekend was, um, or the week just prior to that, was what would be called a ministry team retreat or mm-hmm. 
pastors and spouses retreat. And my wife was on the praise team singing at that retreat, which meant that I had to care for our children. And I wouldn't drink in front of my children, but I'd always come home drunk. And so I was having some withdrawals. And so I planned this weekend of March 3rd of 2007 to go on a weekend binge. And that's when my wife was going to come back. And I said, I'm, when you get back, I'm gone. And she knew what that meant. And so she said, well, David Ring's coming Saturday to the church. And I said, well, that's fine. You go listen to him. He can't talk right. He can't walk right. And I'm going to go get drunk, you know. And so then she said, well, my parents are going to be there and your parents are going to be there. And I said, all right, I'll be there. Because I just didn't want to hear mom and dad's conversation to me. I'll go play the part, and when it's done, then I'll be gone. So as soon as I got there, the guy, his first words, the only two things I remember him saying was, I've got cerebral palsy. What's your problem? And I thought, you little cockroach. (laughs) You know, how dare you call me out? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, because I knew what my problem was. And it wasn't just alcohol. It was my relationship with the Lord. It had mm-hmm. just so deteriorated that it was killing the other relationships, mm-hmm. my family relationships, mm-hmm. my relationship with my siblings, my wife, my children. And um, then at the end, he said, don't miss the mark for 18 inches. It's 18 inches from your head to mm-hmm. your heart. And I knew all the stuff from growing up in a, in a Christian home, in church. I knew the things that the Lord required. And the best thing was to love him with everything I have. But I didn't want to do that. But it was the very thing that I needed to do. And the Lord knew that too. Mm-hmm. Right? And so uh, the end of the service came. There was no invitation. And I have to tell you, I was like, okay, here's my way out. Lord, I was here and no one invited me to come. But he did. <laughs> he did. And so I wanted to go talk with my pastor. I went up to go talk with my pastor because I, I, growing up, I said, well, this is just what you do, right? You go up and then your pastor's there. Somebody lays a hand on you and you're good. But there was people around the pastor that I couldn't, so I couldn't get to him. And so I turned around and there was another guy there. His name was John Irwin. And he looks like Vin Diesel. He just blocked me. He said, what brings you here? Well, how dare you talk to me that way? I'm not going to tell you. And so he said, it's apparent that the Lord is working. What is going on? And I didn't even recall saying any words. I just remembered exhaling. And in the exhaling of my own breath, I was able to inhale the fullness of God at that very moment. And within seconds, the Lord reminded me of the call of ministry that he placed on my life in 1998. And that was to be part of the shepherd's hand. So I heard Mm. in my spirit do you remember the shepherd's hand? Yeah. So are you willing? Yeah. And that is where I recognized that it was okay to put my little hand in his big hand and to be part of the ministry of shepherding the people that God has placed under your care. First Peter 5.2 Not because we must, but because we're willing as God has asked us. Mm-hmm. And so, um, man, I just felt alive. I knew it. I just, it wasn't just a feeling. I knew it. I went home and I told my wife, I said, hey, you remember the shepherd's hand? She said, oh, yeah, because she's the only one I had told about that. In years past, as I studied about what the word shepherd meant, it all referred to pastoring. And I'm like, no, thank you. And I said, I'm pretty sure that he's invited us back into that. He's extended his hand. 
And she said, I've been praying for you to get right with the Lord for a long time. But I didn't mean for you to get that right. <laughs> right? Be careful what you pray for. You're right. So what caused me to go to ministry? <laughs> Other people's prayers and the Lord's yeah. presence, you know. But I'm glad I'm glad that, that it did, or that he did, and that they did. And I have to tell you, even from there, there was some, you know, I had to come to a moment where I had to have a conversation with her and say, if we're going to do this, then we need to have some more conversation. Because I believe, from what I witnessed through growing up, what the Lord was inspiring in my own heart, that unless we're willing to share our lives with people, it will be very difficult for people to share their lives with us. Mm-hmm. And in that, I needed to be free to have conversation with with the story of God mm-hmm. in my life. Yeah. And so that meant I had to have a conversation with my wife about where I was spending my nights when I was away mm-hmm. that no married man should ever be in a position to do. And uh, so I did. And I remember the look on her face. She didn't talk to me for three days. I remember when I was hanging out across the line, I would be terrified to come home because of getting busted. I remember sometimes I did come home, nobody was home, and I was like, Whew. But then I was like, well, maybe, maybe they left me. Mm. But now I was concerned about coming home because I didn't know how she was really going to handle that. Lord, I'm stepping out here. I'm going to share mm-hmm. this with my wife. How's this going to go? And after three days, uh, she came. She said, all right, let's talk. You need to know that we're going to be okay. But what you also need to know is that what you were participating with hurts me so much because... Maybe you thought that I couldn't provide those things for you. And as a man, I didn't think of it in that way at all. Yeah. At all. Yeah. At all. No no connections. No connections. Yeah. But I'll never forget that. And I pray the Lord always reminds me of that. Because through this, boy, it really has allowed me to honor and to cherish and to love her in a way that my children never saw before. Mm. And um, I'm grateful for the grace of God in her to love me enough to have the, the honesty, but also the grace to receive me and uh, to love me through it. Yeah. The love that those folks around you showed you is something so far beyond what uh, we are capable of. Our life group series um, that we're in, one of the lessons talked about how God's mercies are new for us every morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that he asked us to do was to take a shovel and write mercy on it and put it beside our bed and to remember that God's mercies are new for us every day. Mm -hmm. So he shovels mercy on us before we ever get out of bed. And as you've been talking today, I've just had this picture of in a time where it could have been really tough and people could have been really lashing out on you. They were shoveling mercy on you. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful. Mm-hmm. It speaks to me. It speaks to hopefully everyone listening. I hope everyone listening can take that and realize a few things. One, there is no place you've gone. It's too far. Mm-hmm. Two, the Lord is always waiting for his children mm-hmm. to come home. And three, we have been given such a gift. It's free. God continues to shovel mercy. And the one thing I was challenged with was, and I know you shovel mercy. Mm-hmm. I know you do. And you have a son now going in 
Don't you have someone that might even be thinking about ministry? I do. Daniel? Our oldest son, Daniel. Yeah. That's powerful. It speaks tremendously to restoration and what he's seen in his lifetime. So we could either spoon out mercy with a shovel. That's the way we've been given mercy. Are we using a spoon or a shovel? Mm. Yeah. But I've the generations, your dad's ministry, your ministry, and now see Daniel... Uh, it just speaks to what God is doing. We all have a testimony. Uh, yeah. It's different for each one of us. But that is a part of your story. And you know how to relate to other folks that are going through. Yeah, I want it to be a Jesus place. Mm-hmm. right? Someone said everybody has a story. But your story doesn't become a testimony until Jesus becomes part right. of the story. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen. And so the place of Jesus is to invite us into the story. Mm-hmm but to transform our lives so it becomes his story in our yes. lives. And that's the call of ministry that he's placed right. to be a shepherd mm-hmm. into that, right? Yeah, powerful. Good things can come right. Yes, Amen. from places that people Amen. thought nothing good could come Amen. from. Yeah. Pastor Steve, thank you for joining us today on Front Porch Talks and being vulnerable and sharing your testimony mm-hmm. with us. Thank you for the opportunity and the way that you continue to extend grace and mercy to me. Uh, I'm grateful for you and your uh, ministry and... Um, how it impacts the world. It definitely reaches people, and uh, I want you to continue to affirm that. Well, thank you. Uh, we appreciate it, and it's been a joy to have you. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. We pray that Pastor Steve Gazar's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Front Porch Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates and the latest episodes. Also, if you're in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area, we invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX.